If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to the Gospel of Mark. Believe it or not, we are wrapping up our study in Mark's Gospel, and we're going to start in Mark chapter 10. So if you want a place to land, you can kind of go ahead and open to Mark chapter 10. But I'll warn you now, we're going to give your, uh, your fingers a little bit of exercise this morning, because we're going to be covering a lot of parts of Mark's Gospel. In fact, today is set up to be a review of the whole Gospel of Mark. I went back and looked in my records, and our first message on Mark was on August 21st, 2016. So it has been over a year that we've just sort of slowly, section by section, paragraph by paragraph, been walking through the Gospel of Mark. Believe it or not, this is the shortest Gospel of the four. Mark is, um, he, he, was, he was, had the, most, the best economy of words. We've talked about this several times. He gets right to the point. Yet even though it's the shortest gospel, to really go through it section by section, we needed over a year to work through it. And for those of you that have been tracking with us throughout the whole year, uh, I hope that you found it's been a deeply, not just informative, but transformative series. It has been in my own life. So I've been thinking about how do I summarize over a year's worth of sermons of passages of study through Mark's gospel. There's no good way to do that in 30, 35 minutes, however long I have up here. But I thought, you know, I think there's about three themes that I'd want this congregation to be left with. And I thought, I I bet you if I go back through the sermons, I can find these three themes being unpacked in a lot of different ways. But I also found there were sort of three illustrations or three images that capture these three themes. So what I'm going to do this morning is walk back through those three one at a time and then pull it all together and show how all three of those themes culminate at the same place, which is the cross and the empty tomb. So that's where we're going to go this morning. Now, here's the first theme that I'm going to introduce to you, the redefined life, the redefined life. So that's been our series subtitle. So the title of our series is Following the Servant King, subtitle, How Jesus' Life Redefines Your Own. Now think about that for a minute. That implies That believing in the gospel or the good news, the story of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, believing in that should do more than just secure you a place in heaven. Although isn't that incredible news that it does? But believing in that should actually change you. It should redefine you in a sense. It should, think about it this way, give you a new center. It should change everything about you in some way, shape, or form. So going all the way back to August 21st, I re-listened to Lloyd's sermon. Lloyd Shadrach was here in that first week in the Gospel of Mark, and he did something that I wanted to bring back. He put two lists on the screen. I want to go ahead and put that slide up, if we can, with these two lists. Now, I want you to look at these two columns, and I want you to think about this question. Some of you will remember this. Many of you may not have been there. Here's the question I want you to think about. Which one of these lists more describes the life that you really want to have? You've got victory or defeat, gain or loss, power or weakness, life or death, glory or suffering, significance, insignificance, eternal, temporary, first, last. Go ahead into the next slide. Influence or submission, greatness or least, freedom, slavery, love, despised, acceptance, rejection, security, vulnerable, justice or injustice. Which one of those columns do you want? This is a no-brainer, right? In fact, I'd say we spend all of our time, all of our energy, all of our money pursuing lives that look like the column on the left that's just in us. We don't need to apologize for it. It's part of our, our, our fight for survival. It's, it's, it's part of what's deeply rooted in us, in us to have a life that's flourishing. Now, here's where 
this gets turned on its head. If you look at the earthly life of Jesus over his three years of ministry, which column better describes the, earth, the, the life that he experienced? Somebody can say it. The one on the right. Now, I want this to create some tension in you because if we're going to be following the servant king, Rob, are you saying that our life is going to look more like submission, least slavery, despise, rejection, vulnerable, injustice? Are we supposed to just lay down and just let those things happen? What does it actually mean to follow Jesus? This is the puzzle that we introduced to you at the beginning of Mark's study. Now, what we found as we went through this is the disciples were just as puzzled by this as us. Do you not remember every time Jesus would say, hey, the the Son of Man, which is his favorite title for himself, he would say, I, I, the Son of Man, am going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the grave. Do you remember how they would respond? No, 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 no. No, you're not. You're going for influence, greatness, freedom, to be loved, acceptance, security, and justice. You're not going to die. Messiah can't die. We can't die. That's not why we signed up to follow you. We didn't become disciples of injustice and vulnerability and rejection. That's not what we signed up for. And every time, Jesus has to say, you don't yet understand. You don't yet understand. Now, Here's the other interesting thing, just to take this one more place. If I were to ask you, which one of those lives best represents the totality of the lives of the disciples, would it be the left or the right? Again, the right. All the disciples died. They were all killed for the cause of Christ, except Judas, who killed himself. All the other 11 were martyred. They were persecuted. Like, their lives were terrible if you're only going to compare it to left and right. And yet, the message of Jesus all along is there is a life that really matters, and it is a life of everything on the left, but it's not found here on this earth. But you follow me, the servant king, in order to inherit what is to come. So here's how Jesus describes his mission. This is why I wanted you in Mark chapter 10. This is the key verse of the whole gospel of Mark. Fitting that we start there in this review journey. Mark 10 verse 45. Take a look at it. We'll put it on the screen as well. Mark 10 verse 45. This is Jesus' mission. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, i.e. column on the left, but to serve, column on the right, and to give his life, column on the right, Why? A ransom for many. Well, what's that whole ransom thing about? We're going to come back at the end, but it basically means we're going to to inherit all that stuff on the right-hand side of the list. But it's not on this earth. It is on the earth to come. But what does that mean for how we live now? How do we live lives amidst all these things? Do we really want to follow Jesus into the wreck that his life and his disciples' life appear to be? That's a hard question. I hope you've been wrestling some with that over these last 12 months. All right. So that's the first theme. It's this idea of a redefined life maybe looks different than what you would naturally pursue in your own flesh on this earth, but it's because there is an eternal life, a life to come, that is going to be all that you want and more. And which one's going to last longer? Which one's going to be more significant? Where do you want to put your eggs? Which basket do you want to put them in? 
okay? This is this question that the life of Jesus calls for us. All right, let's go to theme number two, resistance or receptivity. Resistance or receptivity. This is the second theme that I want to talk about. Turn in your Bibles to the left, all the way back to the beginning of Mark's gospel. I want you to look at something in Mark chapter one. Don't put it on the screen quite yet, but I'm just going to set this up. When Jesus began his earthly ministry, okay, he only had three years to teach and do miracles and heal and all those things he did. In those three years, he started teaching, he started doing all these things. What was the core of his message? Well, we're going to find the core of his message right here in Mark 1. Let's put verses 14 and 15 on the screen. Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now, after John had been taken into custody, John meaning John the Baptist, of course, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel. Gospel just means good news. The good news of God and saying, here's his core message. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Now, don't get too caught up with the word repent. We think that has like all kinds of religious connotations. Repent just means to change. It means you're going one way. I want you to turn to a different way. You're going toward the column on the left. I want you to go toward a different way. Here's the good news. Don't miss good news, not bad news. The kingdom, the kingdom is at hand. Well, wait a minute, Rob. I thought you said that that eternal life, that eternal kingdom is only what's going to come in in the next earth. You know, the, the new heaven, the new earth that's to come. Well, yes, but is there a sense that the kingdom begins now because the king has arrived now, this is another tension that Jesus is kind of introducing. He's saying that, that, that which is not yet, which is still to come, can be tasted in the now. It, it, it is sort of a, a tension. You may have heard this phrase before, the already and the not yet held together, right? This is that kingdom that Jesus is talking about. Now, flip a little bit to the right. Go to Mark chapter 4. He introduces this parable of these different soils. He says, A farmer went to plant some seed. Some of it fell on the road, and it couldn't get traction because it was hard ground. Some of it fell on the, the, the areas where it was choked out by weeds, right? Some of it fell on rocky places, and some of it fell in good soil. And he explains, to, he explains this parable to his disciples in the verses that follow. And then look at, look at verse 20. Mark 4, verse 20. Jesus is talking about the seed that falls on the good soil, the good soil. He says, and those, verse 20, those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30, 60, and 100 fold. Now, how does this relate to us? You see, what Jesus is doing is he's saying, look, every person that hears my message of the kingdom of God is going to respond in one of these four ways. And when we got to this part in our study of the Gospel of Mark, we said, yeah, th th these are different heart conditions. These, these are different levels of openness to the message of Jesus. All right, there's the hard heart. There is the distracted heart. There's the receptive heart. And which heart condition or which level of receptivity are we going to have? Jesus is saying what's going to make all the difference in the fruit that you bear as my disciples is how you receive my message. Let that sink in for a minute. He's not saying what's going to make the difference is how well you follow me, 
how much you do, how articulate your preaching is, disciples, how much passion and energy you have for the cause, how much money you invest in it, all that stuff may be a part of the equation. But the number one factor that will determine the fruitfulness of your life is are you open or are you closed to my message? What is the soil of your heart or your ears, your receptivity going to be like? And so then this begins sort of the introduction of of this image that Jesus keeps coming back to of the hard heart. The hard heart is illustrated in the seed that falls on the road. It has no place. It can't take root because the the soil is hard. It's been packed down by the the wagons, you know, or the horses or the, the soldiers marching past it. So Jesus is going after a soft heart. And so he begins explaining, disciples, your number one problem is that you have a hard heart. And I want you to see this in Mark 6. So turn to the right again. We're tracking through most of this gospel. We're going to get through. Look at Mark 6, 51. Here's the context before we read it. The context is Jesus had just fed 5,000 people. That night, he walks on water and calms a storm. You know, the wind had whipped up, was whipping up, and he calms down the wind. And this is what he says in, in Mark 6, 51. I'm going to pick it up in the second half of 51 and read through 52. And they, meaning the disciples, were utterly astonished. Here's the reason why they were so surprised. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, the multiplication, but their heart was hardened, you see. Their heart was hardened. Now, now, to really get this, you have to understand what the Greek word for heart means. It's cardia. You know, we think of a, a cardiac arrest or a cardiac unit of a hospital comes from the Greek cardia. Cardia, though, was a lot more than just the, the, the vessel that pumps the blood. Like, it was a lot more than the physical organ. Cardia to the Greeks was sort of the center of a man or a woman's life. Cardia was the mental center, the emotional center, the spiritual center, the relational center. It's like the core of your being. It's like the insides of you, right? Your heart, your heart. This is that idea of cardia. And what Jesus is saying is, is not only do the outsiders have a hard heart to my message, but you disciples still have a hard heart as well. And let me look at, let me have you look at one more incident. Turn over to Mark 8. We're going to go to 8.17. We've talked about this passage a lot. Jesus has now multiplied bread a second time, this time feeding 4,000 people. And a day or two later, they're on a trip, a road trip in a boat. I guess that makes it a a, a lake trip, you know, right? And they're, they're going across the lake and they're arguing because they don't have enough bread. This is a day or two after he's multiplied bread. We've talked about this before. And then look at verse 817. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus, aware of this conversation about, about the bread, said to them, why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? You see, these men had just seen Jesus twice multiply bread and feed thousands of people. And now it's just him and them in a boat and they only have one loaf and they're worried. Why are they worried? Because they haven't really heard. They haven't really seen. They haven't really received. Their, their, Their soil is still hard and compressed. It's not softened 
yet. And so this is the theme that we start seeing of these disciples. Now, for those of you that were here, you may remember this. Many of you weren't in the room, so I'm going to do it again. I had an illustration that demonstrated the hard heart. The hard heart is like this rock. Let me pull this backward a little bit so these folks over here can see. I've got a little bit of a line of sight issue. We better now? All right. This rock is a little bit like the hard heart. If you're going to pour water over this rock, you know exactly what's going to happen. But let's just Let's just watch it, okay? I'm pouring this water. It's going straight. I better stop before I flood this thing. All right, the, 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 why can the rock not receive the water, okay? I don't know much about science, but what I do know is like, you know, the atoms or whatever are so compressed. Like, everything is so compact and tight. They're, they're, it's not porous, okay? Maybe that has nothing to do with atoms. Some of you are laughing at me right now. That's okay. All right, it's hard, now, rocks are good for some things. I can pound, you know, it's heavy. I could you know, make a really good paperweight or something. But when it comes to sort of receiving water, the rock is the last thing you want. In fact, this thing will be dry as a bone by the second service, okay? It's just going to come right off of it. Now, I also brought a sponge. Now, you know, we, we know from life experience, a sponge is very different than a rock. Like, I can literally, you know, crumple this thing up, fit it in my fist. I could throw it in the air. It's very light. It's very unimpressive. Compared to this rock, which I can hardly lift, this sponge seems like it's not much. But when it comes to receiving the water, you see, oh, I'm pouring a little fast here. <laughs> All right, I'm going to get a new sponge in the second service. Okay. Trust me, this sponge is receiving the water. Okay. Eric, can you help me out in second service? I need a new sponge. Okay. Now, this sponge has now received so it can... I swear this worked better like earlier in the year. Okay, I, I, I can wring out this sponge. Here's the question for us. In all seriousness, here, here's the question for us. We were designed to not just hear God's words and have them fall off of us like water bouncing off a rock. We were designed to absorb we were designed to receive so that we can carry and be wrung out, you see. So what Jesus is essentially saying is my words, my message, my very life is like living water. Does that sound familiar? Using imagery from the Gospel of John. I am pouring out to you 12. You are to receive it. You are to retain it so that it can then be wrung out because my words must go. They must not stay they must go, you see. So this is the image of the hard heart. And so this tension with the disciples are, same tension in us. Are we going to hear and receive? Or are we going to hear and it's just going to kind of glance off of us? My fear for us as a body, and I shared this with you a few months ago, I want to share it again, is that we would just do religious things, right? That, that we would just get wet. You know, I mean, going to church, I'm glad you all are here. You know, going to Bible studies, I want you to go to Bible studies. It's the word of God that changes you. But only, only if there's something that happens beyond just the words falling off over you and you go into your life and, you know, not, nothing's transformed. Will we become vessels? Will we become sponges then that can be wrung out for the sake of the gospel? 
This is the question. The hard heart, I would say, is not just the root problem of the disciples. It's our root problem, too. And I'll just speak for myself. I know 100% certain, oftentimes, my heart is much more stone-like than it is soft and, and pliable and porous. And, and this is the image that the Spirit has chosen through the Word of God to challenge us. Christ talks about it over and over. Are your hearts hard? Are your hearts hard? We should hear that question to us, not just the original 12 disciples. All right, that's the second theme, the second image. Are you going to be receptive to the message of Christ or, or, or are you going to reject it? Will your heart be soft or will your heart be hard? And then the third theme I want to talk about is the command to love. The command to love. Flip over to Mark chapter 12. So just a few pages to the right again. Mark chapter 12. We're going to look at verse 29 in just a minute. Let me set this up for a minute before it goes on the screen. Mark chapter 12. This is during a time in Jesus' life where he's being challenged. He's being tested by all the religious experts, right? You know, isn't that funny? Like the religious experts coming up to the word of God incarnate, trying to trick him, etc. And this, this is what's going on. They're trying to trap him because they want to kill him. He's become popular. He's become dangerous in their minds. They don't want him to start a revolution and have Rome crush them, etc. They don't want to lose power. So they're testing Jesus. And one scribe comes up and he says to Jesus, what is the most important command of all the Old Testament Mosaic law? This was a common question that scribes used to argue back and forth. Essentially, he's inviting Jesus to pick a side what is the most important command? And of course, many of you already know the answer that Jesus gives. Let's read it. Mark chapter 12, verse 29 to 31. Jesus answered, The foremost is, the foremost command, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, Jesus is putting love above anything else. And not just love in kind of a flimsy, ethereal, romantic, oh, you know, man, I, you know, I've got a lot of affection for you, or, you know, I just think you're very attractive. It's not that kind of love. This is agape, Greek word agape. Many of you have heard this word before. It means self-giving love. It means the kind of love that a parent has for a child, no matter what kind of rebellion, no matter what kind of snotty nose, pitching a fit, laying on the ground like a squirmy, wormy kind of crazy kid, you have a love for that kid, Right? This is the kind of love of someone who would lay down a life for a friend. Someone who would love someone so much that they would say, I'm going to find my happiness in your well-being and I will sacrifice for you. And Jesus is saying, listen, that's the greatest command and it goes two ways. That kind of love needs to go upward toward your Father in heaven and that kind of love needs to go outward toward those around you. And every disciple of Jesus fails the test of the greatest command. Ultimately, we do. Why do we? Because we're not wired for that kind of love. Do you know what kind of love we're wired for? Let me show you what kind of love we're wired for. Some of you already know where this is going. I still love burritos. I still love burritos. 
Give me a nice burrito from Chipotle or some other place like that. I'm a happy guy. In fact, you know, the, the more that today is going to go on, the hungrier I'm going to be for this burrito. Now, here's the thing about this burrito. I say I love this burrito, but what actually is true is I really just only love this burrito to the extent that it fills me, to the extent that it tastes good to me. I'm telling y'all, if there was a cockroach in this burrito, I wouldn't love it anymore. You know, if, if the, you know, the guacamole had gone sour or bad or the sour cream, if this had been sitting out for two or three days, it was no longer pretty. It was no longer worthy. It was no longer tasty for me. I do not love this burrito anymore. You know where it goes? Trash can. What kind of love do I have in my own heart? Burrito love. Burrito love. So do you. In our humanness, we tend, we tend to love people and things to the extent that they meet our needs. And that's true in all of our relationships. That's true with our friends. That's true in our marriages. That's true with our family relationships. For the most part, okay? I'm about to talk about how this can be different. But for the most part, if we're honest, when we serve our wives, when we serve our husbands, and they don't as much say thank you on occasion, or we give, we give, we give, we give, we give, and all we get back is rejection, that love can quickly turn to bitterness. Why? Why? Because it's burrito love. Burrito love is what we're born with. Burrito love is the way that we tend naturally to love other people. Jesus is saying, that's not enough. You need to agape love. And so we say, woe is me. I am a selfish being. I love selfishly. I can't love like Jesus. I have a hard heart. I don't have a soft heart. What am I to do? What is the good news? The message of the kingdom. That the king has come. And not only did he come, but he loved the way that we couldn't love. He agaped us. And so what is the solution to our hard hearts and our burrito love? It's the cross and the empty tomb. Let me explain. I want you to think about how the rest of the story in Mark's gospel plays out. We're not going to go through every chapter. The end result of the hard hearts of the disciples and the self-oriented, selfish love of the disciples is that at the moment Jesus needed them the most, they did not agape him, did they? It was burrito love time for those disciples. Jesus, they essentially said, you no longer look good to us. We don't want to follow where you're going. One of them betrayed him. One of, him, one of them denied him. All of them abandoned him. And yet, yet, knowing all this was going to happen, the night before it all happened, he had a meal with them and he said, listen, listen, listen. You cannot love like I've called you to love because you're so hungry. And as long as you're hungry, I can only do one thing with this burrito and that is consume it. But what if I've already been fed? What if my needs have been met? Then I can put my hand out and say, no, you, 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 you eat. I care more about your filling because I have been filled. I can give it away rather than be selfish. That only happens once you've been filled. And so Jesus said, listen, you're hungry. You have a hunger you don't even know about. And you're thirsty. 
you have a thirst you don't even know about. And the answer to your hunger is my body, as strange as that sounds. And the answer to your thirst is my blood. And so I want you to eat and I want you to drink. It is me agaping you so you can be filled to agape others, to love others. And then even after the crucifixion, the disciples still don't get it. Their hearts are still hard. He's in the tomb. They don't actually believe that he's going to rise from the dead. And then as Mike Vogt last week, in a, a really helpful message for those of you that were here, Mike Vogt reminded us that the message of Jesus through the angel to the disciples was, I'm not done with you yet. I want to meet up with you in Galilee. We're going fishing again. Just watch what I'm going to do. And, and then that whole story is going to play out. You know, Mark ends his gospel here, but we know what happens we know what happens, that those women tell the disciples. The disciples see Jesus again. They finally get it. Their hearts are finally softened. And that creates this incredible boldness when their lives are wrung out, just as Christ called them to. And guess what else happens? They do yield a fruit that is not tenfold or a hundredfold or even a thousandfold because their soil of their hearts were eventually softened to hear and receive the message. They produce a whole forest of trees that produces forests of trees that produces forests of trees. And here we are, Franklin, Tennessee, 2017, talking about Jesus. You see, this is the gospel of Mark. And so the question for us is, has our life been redefined have our hearts been softened or are they in process of being softened? And is our love being transformed from selfish me love to generous giving love? That's the question for all disciples of Jesus throughout time as we await for the true future that is coming, the true life that we haven't even yet fully begun to experience will be ours through faith in Christ. So here's how I want to close this out. We are going to sing a song together. But before we sing, I want to set up next week because next week we're not quite yet moving on. And you may have heard this, but our next study is the book of Acts. So now the Holy Spirit's going to come and the Spirit's going to change the world through these 11 men and the women too that were following him. It's going to be fantastic when we dig into that. But before we get to Mark, we're going to spend one more week, or before we get to Acts, sorry, we're going to spend one more week in Mark. And here's what we're going to do. We're not going to recap. That was today. What we're going to do is celebrate together. We're going to respond together. Yeah, there'll be a little bit of a, of a teaching, a little bit of devotional, but the big thing that we're going to do is we're going to respond. We're going to proclaim. We're going to speak because we dare not stay silent. We dare not stay silent. So here's how this is going to work. Next week, you'll come in. The room's going to be rearranged. We're going to have a, a kind of the band in sort of the center, and we're going to be celebrating together. And then I'm going to ask this question, and I'm going to tell you the question now so you can go ahead and be thinking about it because I'm going to ask some of you to share. won't put anybody on the spot. Volunteer only, all right? But here's the question I'm going to ask you. As we've been following the servant king together, what is one way the life of Jesus has redefined your life? As we've been following the servant king together, you know, 13 months of this now, what is one way the life of Jesus has redefined your own? It's, it's 
purposefully broad enough for you to talk about anything that God's been doing in your heart related to this text, related to Jesus, related to the hope that he's given you or the challenge he's given you, or the way he's softening your heart, changing your love, transforming, you're seeing Jesus differently, all those things. As we've been following the servant king, what is one way your life is being redefined? We will talk about that next week. So I'm going to encourage some of you, even now, start praying about what you might share as an encouragement to this body next week. Let me pray for us, and then we will close with a song. Father, you are good. You are good. You are good. We've just spent 13 months taking a look at the life of your son, Jesus. And there's so much that we have seen and heard And I pray, Father, that the seed of the study would be bearing fruit in our lives. And I know there's people in this room that have had all kinds of things happen in their lives in the last 13 months. And God, I thank you that you have given us a time to say, all that is in my life, I'm going to allow to rub up against the life of my Savior to compare to contrast, to pray, to hope, to be able to allow the seed of the good news of the kingdom of God to be soaking down in my heart in a way that would soften it, in a way that would transform my love, in a way that would grow up and out. And so, Father, I pray even as we continue through the next six days, you'd bring us back here next week with hearts that are full of hope with hearts that even though they may be heavy with life circumstances are able to focus on the future glory that we will have in Christ Jesus and be able to bear witness of what you are doing in our lives for the encouragement of this body. I thank you for these men and women. They are men and women who love you, who need to be reminded that you're in charge, that you're in control, that it's safe to be a child of God. And they also need to be compelled to speak and share and serve. So I pray this would be true of Fellowship Franklin in the name of Jesus. Amen. Here's our hope. The only way that our hearts will be transformed, the only way that we're going to be able to love the way God calls us to, the only way that we will intentionally say, I will give up a pursuit of the life on the right column temporarily for pursuit of the life on the left column is if we understand that this message that we've been singing about needs to go out and it's going out into a world of darkness. That's why there's persecution. That's why there's disease and slavery and all these other things is because we are in a world that needs light. Jesus has come as the light. The question for us is, what will we do? How will we steward that? How will we be transformed inside so we can go out and proclaim. And so I send you out in the name of Christ to speak the things that you have seen and heard in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.